Hello and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast. I'm Brian Powles, Director of PCC Employment Lawyers. I think we're in week nine now of our Sydney lockdown, so I'm recording this from home. I'm going to be joined by my colleagues and guests remotely. Apologise for any sound quality issues. We've, we've done our best in the circumstances. Um, today's episode's on recruitment. I'm going to start out by having a chat with Essie about um, discrimination in recruitment. There's an article that she wrote on our webpage a couple of weeks ago, and we're just going to talk about some of those issues. Um, I also, we're going to be joined by Lizzie Boots from Boots and All Consulting. Lizzie's a, a long-term colleague and friend of mine that is an expert recruiter and HR consultant. Um, and we thought it'd be really useful to get some more practical rather than legal insights um, into, into this issue. I'm then going to be joined by the others. Um, we're going to do our normal good, bad and ugly segment. Um, having a look at some of the issues that have arisen in employment law over the last couple of weeks since our last podcast. We also um, had a look at Legally Blonde, movie starring Reese Witherspoon. I wasn't super keen, I'll admit, but that's what we chose this week. So we, we, we watched that and uh, we're going to have a chat about that uh, towards the end. First of all, I'll start with Essie. So um, the newsletter that you wrote... Um, really was focused on on some of the dangers. We've written a bit about this over the years. Um, this was a, sort of a, a bit of a narrow inquiry into a couple of specific things, but um, quite an interesting article. Um, one of the first things that I noticed about it was you started off with this issue of culture fit, um, which is something I, I wrote about, you know, I think three or four years ago. Um, there's always been a, been a little bit of a sticking point for me about about that being kind of a dangerous concept in recruitment. What are the dangers of this expression in a, in a recruitment context? Yeah, no, that's right. I think, um, well, there's been a lot of conversation about this in the sort of recruitment industry already um, when companies are looking into, you know, looking for a, a culture fit. It really sounds more like they're looking for someone who's just like all their other employees or just like the recruiter themselves. Um, and the problem that recruiters take with this is that we'll generally lead to them having very little diversity within the workforce. But yep. then there's this other level to it, which is that the Fair Work Act makes it unlawful to take adverse action against an employee or, you know, in this case, a prospective employee for a prohibited reason. And those reasons are noted under Section 351 of the Act, and they include things like race, sexual preference, age, religion. And where that comes into play with this term of a culture fit is that a lot of those attributes sound like they are cultural in nature. Yeah, well, they are, really... aren't they? Yeah. 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 And it's very hard. And this is kind of the, the point that the article that I wrote a few years ago was it was exactly that point is how do you say, you know, you're a good culture fit for my organization without including those aspects of somebody's culture that are protected. And, and, and it's a tough one. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and what it leaves is employers being at risk of being held liable for breaching the Fair Work Act if they tell their prospective employees that they won't be hired because of their, you know, culture, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the article as well, there's the um, question of age, and that's a really common one, and I think it, we're seeing that grow, uh, growing as, a, as an area where, where people are successfully bringing suits in relation to pre-employment discrimination. Yeah, so there's a recent case actually before the uh, New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal uh, called Golston and sorry, Galston and Adept Underpinner Proprietary Limited. Um, so in this case, a man, Mr. Golston, oh, that's a hard one, Galston, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, had contract, he, so he'd, um, he'd contacted a company about a casual construction position that he saw advertised. And essentially, uh, this man who was, you know, as I called him in the newsle newsletter, just 61 years young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was, so when he called the company, he was just laughed at by the company's director for inquiring about that particular construction role. And the director said that the workload was so heavy that a 61-year-old would likely have a heart attack and die, and he didn't want that happening on his work site. And so as a result, Mr. Galston felt humiliated 
understandably. Yeah, of course. And he didn't apply for the role, but he actually didn't apply for any heavy lifting role for the next few months because he'd completely lost his confidence as a result. Okay. And then the significance of the fact that he's not applying for any heavy lifting roles is that those are the roles that actually pay a little bit better. Right. So what he ended up doing was making a claim against uh, the company, Adept Underpinner, for discrimination. Pre-employment discrimination. It's always been one of those areas of discrimination that's very, very difficult to prove um, because you know, just the evidence is not available. I suppose in, in this NCAT case there, I think when the employer actually says, oh, here are the reasons, the reasons are that you're too old. I, I think that's probably a, a bit of a high watermark and, um, and yeah, unusual. Yeah, it's quite straightforward in that sense. That's right. Whereas it's actually a very difficult gray area often because because sometimes these prejudices can be a little bit more innate and, and they're not actually vocalised by the by the prospective employer. Yeah, okay, well, that's very interesting and an and unusual case to have something that overt. Um, yeah, that's right. What you were saying too, and this is the really fascinating stuff, is about the automated recruitment processes. So so that's, so that's So you've addressed this, this idea that people, the companies in an attempt to be less discriminatory have sort of automated part of their process and what did you find there yeah so there's this increased trend that companies just try to automate and maybe simplify their recruitment process and you know maybe it's about discrimination but maybe it's also to save costs and time um or maybe they don't want to miss out on you know uh not picking up the resume of a really great candidate um and they're doing this by just using questionnaires and algorithms but sometimes by trying to automate a process you can accidentally miss some of the sort of nuances that an applicant might misunderstand or experience a little differently. Um, or then you might be a huge company like Amazon and create a robot that discriminates against uh, women. Yeah, well, we, had, we had the Amazon robots on the last pod, didn't we, that were, that were, no, know, that were firing. That. And also that's not really a fair description. <laughs> so what Amazon actually did no. was that they were trying to create an artificial intelligence recruitment tool yeah. Um, which would just read CVs and applications of candidates and just find the strongest candidates and put them forward for Amazon. Sort of do the grunt work beforehand. Um, but the problem was that in order to teach the AI tool what the standards are, Amazon fed um, 10 years worth of resumes uh, to, to the AI tool and then told it which ones were successful. What? <laughs> so then, when they started trialing the AI tool, they discovered that it was preferencing the applications of men over women. So it was just yeah. pulling any candidate that was part of, say, you know, they said that they were part of the women's chess club or had gone to a ladies' college. Yeah, um, right. So it's just that the, the robot really just learned, like, like any artificial intelligence, it's just learning from human intelligence and the human intelligence was already biased. So it just yes. learned to be biased. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not helpful. A little bit unfair because in reality, the problem was that the majority of the applicants to the engineering department were men. So because yeah. of the particular kind of data that they were giving up the last 10 years meant that it was, you know, repeating 10 years worth of bias in engineering. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's, yeah. So, so just, clarify that Amazon didn't actually go ahead with the project. Yeah, it was, yeah, great. Excellent. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the fact that in the last podcast, we already established that they went forward with the automated sacking. Tool yeah. <laughs> they like the robots. Yeah, no worries. That's right. Yeah, no, interesting. Well, you know, that kind of reminds me as well. And I think this is, this is part of the problem with systemic bias. And it's funny because I guess what we're really talking about um, from an employment advisory perspective is is fundamentally we're not talking about those systemic issues you know you know gender pay gap the rest of it we're talking about how do employers themselves on an individual level prevent themselves from discriminating on a on a day-to-day -day basis and I, and I guess some of those societal things are, are kind of another question um, you know where, where you know can, which can be really difficult I mean what you know what the article reminded me of and it's it's an interesting one that it's a little a little unrelated i always bring american football into any discussion because i'm obsessed with it but there's a um a scandal at the moment about the concussion lawsuit 
payouts. There's, you know, class actions happening about concussion. And there's a very um, allegedly sophisticated algorithm which the scientists use to measure kind of pre-injury capacity against post-injury capacity and calculate the compensation on the basis of that. And a couple of players have have challenged it on the basis that the African-American players all seems to be assessed at a lower pre-injury level based on the the, you know, allegedly scientific data. Um, And it's exposed this massive systemic bias Um, And again, it's one of those examples where you use what's allegedly objective data to, you know, predict outcomes, but that objectivity is is fundamentally and systemically biased based on our own, you know, um, know, societal systemic issues. And it it seems like where you're talking about the automation bias, that's a very real risk of that happening, isn't it? You're just going to replicate what's already there if you automate. Yeah, so well, not, not necessarily always even that. I mean, um, kind of how we mentioned in the newsletter, if we're talking about your average small to medium business, um, they they won't have this, you know, fancy yeah. AI recruitment tool, but they'll, yeah. they'll they might have just questionnaires and algorithms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like that was going to be my know, next question. How, you know, how does this apply to your to your average you know business like ours? That's yeah. Yeah, so if you ask in the questionnaire about a candidate's medical history, you know, they might feel that they have to put in everything, yeah. uh, even the things that the employer is actually not interested in. So, you know, they'll put in their anxiety disorder or their diabetes diagnosis. Um, but then when the candidate is rejected or their application isn't picked up, they might assume that they've been discriminated against because of the things that they put in their application. Yeah. You know, because of that diabetes diagnosis, um, but maybe it wasn't even factored in. Yeah, but they've created, and as I, like as I was saying before, perhaps a little cynically, they've they've created that evidentiary position. You know, uh, who knows what innate or inherent biases people make decisions around? But yeah. when you're actually communicating those biases in the process, um, or, or or at least creating a potential for an allegation that that bias has somehow acted on the on the mind of the decision maker it's it's something exactly something that they should really be mindful of although you know it is hard so you you know it would take a bit of bit of effort i guess yeah yeah cool all right well let's bring lizzie in welcome to the employment law podcast lizzie boots (laughs) you're our first ever guest we've been managing it for a while so um Welcome to the show. Now, I've known you for a long time, so just for the benefit of the listeners, I'll describe your business a little bit, but hopefully I don't get it too wrong. You do uh, HR HR sort of consultancy, um, including recruitment, but, in, but, but also other aspects of HR, and, and you specialize in the medical industry, health industry, beauty. Is that fair to say, or you do others as well? Uh, pretty much that's what I focus on. I do have some clients outside so like an uh, online gaming, so not gambling, but yeah. know, the gaming um, industry. Yeah, that's right, my, great. That sort of thing and, and real estate. Um, but yeah, main, predominantly it is medical health and beauty. So look, we've been talking already about um, recruitment and, you know, a, as usual, we, we take a very academic and dry approach because we really don't know the practicalities of what we're talking about because we're not recruiters. What's expected? Like what are the practical measures that a recruiter uh, you know, has to take when screening applicants? I mean, what's expected as, as just a minimum standard? Mm, okay, I think one of the um, key things is consistency, when, when, especially when you talk about discrimination in, yeah. in the recruitment process. And I think um, keeping in mind um, that you can say, well, this is a, a general question that I've asked everybody. Yeah. Um, that, that can really help. But I think having um, a process that, you know, in mind, so it starts with the telephone, well, it really starts with the ad and being very clear about what your search criteria is and possibly isn't because um, I know we can come back to that um, ad and some of my candidates do and they'll say, but in the ad, you said this, you know, and yeah. that can be working to their employment. So, you know, be careful about what you write in the ad, you know, what you're looking for. Um, the telephone call, a Zoom call, an email, engage your candidate in 
some sort of um, uh, interaction and that communication, especially if their role is going to be um, really requiring that sort of communication. I mean, a, a typical thing would be, you know, I, I get a, um, a response to an email um, and there's not one capital letter, a full stop, you know, no punctuation, and you know, yet they're telling me in their CV they have attention to detail and they're, you know, highly um, reversed in communication. Um, so, you know, you, you can really, you can evidence that by yeah. um, actually just in, including those sorts of things in the process. And one of the things that I do that I think is different to a lot of um, other um, recruiters is generally I will organise a job trial and I call it a try on day because recruitment is a leap of faith between both the employer and the employee. You know, we're, we're in one hand going, we're a great, you know, team to work for, we're really kind and we consider we're going to pay you well, all these things, you know, and they're saying, you know, I'm honest, I'm reliable, you know, I'm punctual. And when you incorporate a job trial, which is generally paid, and again, in, in my industry, people are very happy to do that and we come up with a, an hourly rate for the job trial, I've had such success with that process that, you know, I wish it was actually a, a mandated part of recruitment because yeah. I've had, um, you know, even high level roles, um, job trials. So practice managers, for example, um, I get them to come in for a full day and shadow a previous practice manager. And I've had um, people say, gee, I'm glad I did that. There's, I'm, I don't want this job, thanks. Yeah. Um, they've tried it on and for different reasons they don't like it and it saves everybody a lot of time and energy and effort. So, you know, I'm pretty set on, on those things that running right through and probably key, one of the things I, f I forgot is the reference checking and yeah. making that an absolute ironclad, you know, that's, that's a box that needs to be checked before someone starts. And, um, yeah, and you do that every single time, do you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because I don't, I'll admit that. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on you. That's probably... I'm you know, slack. Most, um, I'm slack. What about social media? Is that oh, still a thing? Do you get on there and have a look? Absolutely. I, I should have pulled up my checklist and I, I've got that um, all down so that I actually um, show my clients, you know, I've gone through this process. Definitely. Um, that that is an early stage. Once I get a CV, yeah. uh, I want to get a visual on the person and, and also get a bit of an idea and a feel for um, yeah, for their personality. Because I think this fits perfectly with your newsletter, you know, be, being mindful of what a cultural fit is. Yeah. And, you know, it's not to say a person, and as you, as you rightly said, you know, you're not a cultural fit is a, an other way of saying we don't like you. Yeah. Um, it, it's not really that. It's just, you know, there is a cultural fit that is, it's a two-way aspect. And I, I call it employer of choice. Yeah. And that's why I try to get all, all of my clients to aim to become an employer of choice. Yeah. And what's really good about that is it actually makes them look at what their workplace is all about and why people would choose them and why they choose certain people. Yeah. And that, yeah, I suppose really that answers that question about yeah social media yeah mm, it's, it's important to see who they are yeah well we're going to ask you particularly about culture uh, i think even essie had a question because I've, I've always had a bit of a like a bee in my bonnet about that concept of cultural fit because i think often because sometimes it's been used to mask basically unlawful discrimination because so much of what we say our personal culture is is actually a protected attribute we're just wondering, um, how do you ensure that you're actually attracting a diverse pool of candidates? You know, what, what can you do to make sure that you're not just looking for or accidentally only catering to the cultural fit? Yeah, well, um, I think that that's a really great question. And it's, I, I'm very fortunate that some of my clients actually really um, promote that. My fabulous female client, yeah. um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say names on, on our podcast, but, um, she, and she's actually said to me, Lizzie, well, I don't have a um, vertically challenged person yeah. um, on on my team. Like, yeah, right. Like, like, please, you know, so she said, we've got, we've got gays, we've got tattooed women, we've got, you know, um, yeah. transgender, you know, like, 
so so some people are really going out there. Yeah. Look well, out for, yeah. But, but I think it's important. Like, we, we joke about it inside the firm. Like, all the guys that work for me now are, are young women. And it's yeah. a, for me, I feel like it's a really bad look. It's not intentional at all. But it just so happens that often whatever attracts the workplace to certain types of people keeps attracting the same type of people. It's not an intentional. So, so it, it is difficult to actually kind of say, okay, we, we would like to be, we'd like a diverse workplace, po a positively diverse workplace, but without actually making discriminatory choices. And, you know, I've chosen everybody on merit. And it all happens that they're all young women and there's that's no men. Nice, yeah. so, <laughs> <laughs> they're not all blonde. No, no. We have some diversity. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I, I've been challenged on that too in the past where, where people have said to me, um, oh, Lizzie, you, you discriminate, you know, you only hire um, pretty women. Right? Okay. And my answer to that is, you, you know what? No, I hire happy, bright, positive individuals and you know what that makes them attractive that's yeah. if you look carefully at the people i place they're not all classically beautiful but they're all happy yeah and wow. they they're, they're beautiful people yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know that that's my answer to that but in terms of the the cultural what does what does culture mean mean to to your employers okay i i think to them it means it does mean people like us you know, so yeah. they they want and people who are going to fit with that particular culture. And I think a, a great example might be, um, say, Dr. Naomi has a has a great practice and it's it's got a great vibe, um, but she doesn't promote um, lots of um, after work drinks or get togethers. You know, she, you know, she'd rather put a knitting needle in her eye than you know have a, have a drink with with people after work. Yeah. You know? and, but, it's, it's a great it's a great place to work and she loves her team and she rewards them and you know in different ways and yet i've got another um client you know dr zach and you know he he really wants his team to stay back on a friday night he'll open a um an aged bottle of red wine and say hey guys you really worked so hard this week thanks for all your effort love your work and and they debrief you know and, and he likes yeah. that and he say to me oh you know i'm worried about you know tiffany she she never likes to stay back like you know she's not really like us and for me that's the culture yeah you know, it's so and you wouldn't discriminate against that person or you know maybe look at you know firing them because they don't stay back for after work drinks but you, you're kind of looking for people that fit the culture yeah. of the practice and all, yeah. or of the business. Um, same, say a good example with my um, business Turn Left, um, they're um, a gaming distribution and, and they really like to employ people who are gamers. So yeah. not gamblers, but you know, they, they love to get on and, you know, do, I don't know, Thrustmaster or all these, you know, shoot yeah, up yeah. games. Yeah. Um, and uh, that makes them interesting and interested in that in that business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask, what about uh, referrals in terms of, I guess, again, accidentally hiring more people who fit your culture? Would you, are there circumstances where you think that employers should ask their employees if they have someone that they would recommend for a role? That is a great question. And that works if you have a good culture, <laughs> you know, if it's a, it was a yeah. good, a positive culture. So are the people, um, are they positive because it's it's that whole sort of darwinian thing you know that um, like attracts like and so if you have um, a group of people that are close-minded and close-knit and they're not really you know doing the things you want them to do then that would be a dangerous thing to say oh bring on more people like you um so a great example of that was um when i was working in the states um in in human resource which was a very different kettle of fish to here in yeah, australia yeah. but um that was a, a similar thing i had a um a medical practice i was working for and the culture was just diabolical it was just one of um yeah dissent and you know disagreement and and people were trying to bring their friends and family so i think we had a mother a daughter and a sister you know and oh it was just okay yeah. how, do we, how do we break this up you know um so I think that answer to your question, Essie, is um, again, you have to look at is is the culture positive? And really, 
again, coming back to what that truly means is, how does that support the business? You know, what? how does that um, really reflect the, um, the qualities that the owner is looking for and the brand of the business? You know, are we, are we happy, bright, positive, easygoing people or are we very um, professionally, you know, minded? And again, some of my practices will want people who are, you know, extremely, you know, professional in their outlook. And some people are looking for pe um, people who are a bit more fun-loving and, yeah. and free-spirited. So that fits with their particular business model. Yeah, and um, that's where we're getting to the to the really healthy parts of culture that are non-discriminatory at all. Because you can you can have a small child, or you can be gay, or you can be African, or can you have any of those protected attributes and and fundamentally be similar or, or share those cultural values in terms of the workplace culture and this leads to the next thing i was going to ask you i read an article of yours from a little while ago talking about recruiting when you're primarily recruiting um generation y candidates and look i'm not a, i don't get into the generation bagging i don't like it at all you know and and gen y is now at the prime of their careers and they're huge and very important part of the workforce you, you raise some really interesting points about that generation's attitude and and really the fact that you're not just interviewing them they're interviewing you oh very much so and i think key to probably that article even though it was i, I wrote it several years ago yeah you know, two or three years ago um it's still very relevant today and you're right i mean they're we're dealing with um what are they now 25 to 40 year olds yep. or you know, depending on on which scale you're looking at 27 to well, some people say gen y and some people say millennial so essie you have yeah. to explain the difference what's the I difference i think there actually is there is it's just a different term it's oh. the same thing okay so to focus on that really absolutely things have not changed and be actually become even more so yeah and just as we use social media and we were talking about um you know looking at um social media um, presence and you know facebook and instagram and um even TikTok. what you know what are they doing the um um, candidates are actually then looking at um, the business yeah. and they're going to the Google reviews. Um, they're looking at the business profile. They're looking at the website. They're making decisions about whether or not this is a, um, a cultural fit for them. You know, yeah. is, is this a trendy place? Because, you know, I, I like to, you know, be involved in this. Uh, they all want to know a big thing that they all want to know is um, growth. They want, um, they want to know what are, what are the opportunities for growth in this yeah. world? Yeah. So, but your um, article also said that there's some stats about sort of you know often uh, candidates now will will consider taking a you know, like up to 15 percent less in salary if the conditions are right whereas you know back in my generation it was all just money 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 you know gen x it's just like tell me what to do give me the money i'll do it you know <laughs> which is different yeah it's a different mindset it's so not about the money it, yeah. it really is about it and i've even had people ask me in interviews um and what do they do um about recycling in your clinic and they yeah, want to right. know if they um you know have a um, a policy for uh you know reusable thing wow i just gee you know yeah. never ceases to surprise me but i think they're they're looking at um what other people are saying they're they're the the Gen Y or the millennials, they're used to um, reading reviews um, before they, you know, book um, accommodation or they before they buy something. Yeah. They're buying everything online, and really, that's what their job is too. They're, they're yeah. looking at that, and it's online. So, what are, what are the other reviewers saying? Um, and if the Google um, reviews, if they've got like a, you know, a three point four rating. Um, they they're going to think and they're going to read those messages, yeah. you know, saying, you know, this is not a very nice place. So I didn't get great service. I've had people cancel interviews um, after reading um, some um, Google reviews on, on my practices. Mm. So interesting. I actually have two questions on that. So yeah. since you just mentioned the canceling interviews, um, you know, and again, not to, not to bag on my fellow millennials, um, there's been increase in kind of, you know, ghosting employers about you know suddenly disappearing which i'm sure is kind of uh frustrating if you've gone through all the effort and the time to look through the applications and maybe even had more than the one interview but um so i guess i'm wondering if you think that creating a really positive uh recruitment experience for them 
would more likely lead to them having a to, to, to staying on longer for a better retention rate if they if they see that things are going well in the recruitment process. I think that is absolutely correct. The uh, I track the longevity and the success in a role back to what transpires in the recruitment process so often, you know, and if there's little bump, what I call speed humps or potholes in that process, um, there's more likely to be, you know, a roadblock at the end um, or, you know, somewhere in that early stages of their employment. Um, unfortunately, ghosting, I know, it's just crazy. Do you get a lot of it, I was going to say. Oh, Do you get ghosted? It's, it's amazing. It's insane. And, you know, and, and I think I'm really nice, you know, like I think, you know, and I'll send out a, a text saying, you know, oh, you, you didn't turn up for our interview today. Please just let me know that you didn't have a car accident on the way. Um, yeah. You know, I oh, yeah. you know, left my office and travelled, you know, 45 minutes to a client's office to meet them. I, I've actually explained to the candidate, um, look, I'm not on site. You know, I am the HR consultant, you know, but I, I will be meeting you there. So if there's any, you know, any problems or issues, please let me know. And uh, they just don't show. Ghosting. Um, I can't believe that. But I've heard people ghost each other, young people ghost each other, like in relationships, like they'll be in a relationship and then they ghost each other. Is that, is that happen? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. yeah. God. <laughs> and the recruitment process is really just an extension of a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I, I treat it that way, you know, it's like treat people how you would want to be treated, give them the information, be honest from the beginning, you know, don't sort of catfish, yeah. um, you know, well, there's another whole story, you know, <laughs> again, you know, Facebook, you know, I can, I can Facebook someone and, um, or, you know, have a look at their Insta profile and um, the person on that um, Insta or, or their social media is not the person who turns up. You know, it's wow. same thing, you know, like, it's like Tinder dating. So have you got any horror stories for us? Anything oh. juicy? Where would I start? Okay, <laughs> my life in recruitment for the medical health and beauty industry is like nip tuck meets Friday the 13th on Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's great and sometimes it, it just keeps me going and you know my my clients will say to me is it only me and i i'm so lucky i can say no it's not you trust me it's not you um wow where would i start probably one of my most interesting applicant stories was um a young lady who contacted me um in relation to a reception role with a high profile um cosmetic surgery clinic um while she was still incarcerated um, and uh, she had three months to go um, until she was paroled. And uh, well, I was wondering, you know, when I when I called her back and it took a really long time for her to come to the phone and I thought, gee, this she must be a very important lady, you know, she, the, the PA has said, oh, you know, I'll just get her for you. Little, you know, I found out later that she was coming from her jail cell and she, <laughs> uh, now, she didn't get the job and not because she was in jail um but because she hadn't had any previous experience in a reception role you know in in a medical reception role and and that was what you know we clearly needed um and was clearly advertised in in our ad but you know later again i um um, went on social media and i was to learn that yeah she was incarcerated for dealing drugs so of course that might be might be a conflict of interest, you know, in someone <laughs> having access to drugs. So wow. maybe I, a red flag. Well, <laughs> I, I would probably seek Brian's advice on that before I you know, proceeded <laughs> to say whether there was a, a discriminatory, you know, it'd be oh, one of those calls that I'd make to Brian. And, that's yeah. tough. Yeah. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, just, you that's know, again, a, a, still on the topic of drugs, um, at reference checking, um, I'd um, had two successful interviews with this lady. Um, um, she'd had a job trial. The whole team gave the thumbs up. Oh, we love this lady. She's fantastic. And I hadn't been able to get on to her previous employer. And um, I, so I'd given her a contract pending reference check, said, oh, sorry, not, I backtrack, hadn't given the contract. I'd given a verbal offer, but pending reference checks. And I said, look, you know, reference checks is something that I must check off before anyone can be placed and it's, it's on our it's on our recruitment checklist um i finally got on to the doctor um who was 
very forthcoming to say, no, she was actually, ter I can't believe she's put me down as a referee. She was actually terminated because instead of giving my client, my, my patients, their Valium um, pre-procedure, um, so he was um, a dermatologist and he would just give them a, um, a sedative um, prior to, you know, re removing, you know, skin tags. She was actually giving them placebo and, or, you know, just saying, you know, giving them nothing keeping the Valium and then selling it in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and she put that doctor down on her resume as a reference. Put him down. He was gobsmacked. He said, I, I can't understand why she would put me down. Um, yeah, so interesting. And, and that's why I think, you know, people are quite scared about giving bad references. They, they think that they can be, there's a concern yeah. that by giving a bad reference, they can be sued. Uh, but yeah, he was quite forthcoming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't really need to say very much in those situations. I mean, obviously he, he has, but um, it's, it's, you know, look, that's fascinating. Last question. Now that you've told me that the Gen Y will work for 15% less, do you think there's any scope for me to reduce my guy's salaries? Absolutely, go for it. <laughs> I just think about the benefits. I'll say, yes, you like, I'll make you into a podcast star, but I'm going to pay oh, you yes. less. <laughs> Give me free yoga too, and then maybe free yoga. No worries. We'll do it. Good. I can hook you up with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time, Lizzie. We'll have you on again soon because it's been great chatting to you. It's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for my first podcast, and I've really enjoyed it. Oh, Thanks, guys. you've been great. Thank you. Yeah. Talk to you later. <laughs> Good, bad, the ugly. Again, sorry to Chris Long for borrowing his idea for this, but I like it too much. So we're going to talk about what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly in the employment law space over the last couple of weeks. You guys got any? Courtney, you're going to go first this time. What's your good? Okay, so my good is also my ugly. Um, so we actually shared on our social media sites, I think it was one or two weeks ago, an article about Google's location-based salary packages. Um, yep. So basically the salary package will depend on where you're living. Um, and the reason why, why that is good is because it means that Emily and I can now move to beachside suburbs <laughs> and try and convince you for a pay rise. <laughs> Fair um, enough. <laughs> so that's, that's the good. Um, but the ugly is actually that, well, the ugly side of it is that it's actually having a negative impact for some employees in that if they're remote working, from certain locations, they're potentially getting pay cuts. Um, the good news is that's not really going to be a risk in Australia. Um, it's not a huge issue here because the track pay and things like that, like Google have come out and said they're not going to do it here. Um, but it is ugly for the people affected who potentially now working from home, especially with COVID and not commuting to the office and now having their salaries based on their home location rather than where they're traveling for work. I can't see it happening in Australia. It would be an adverse action, wouldn't it? <laughs> Social origin. That's right, mm. section 351. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Discrimination I'm, again. Yeah, well, it is. That's actually a really yeah. good point. I think it could be. I was just going to say that if you want to attract the best employee, that's also not something that you want to apply. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we just got off with Lizzie, actually. It was an interesting point that she was making about your generation being less purely focused on money and more focused on some other benefits of of the workplace just from a recruitment perspective so i'll let you listen to that but it's it's quite interesting i was actually planning to talk to you guys about um working for less to be honest with you so. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. better area <laughs> <laughs> i don't care where you live yeah <laughs> all right good what was your good emily oh uh, well just like actually that was my bad that was your bad uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> that was my bad but i've got same as courtney i've got a good and ugly that are related um so it's about the western australian inquiry 
yeah. in relation to sexual harassment of women in the FIFO industry. Yeah. Um, my good is uh, some of the submissions there, um, like the submission from the Western Mine Workers Alliance submission that uh, would have like some uh, pretty good idea, uh, like um, installing a panic buttons. Uh, in work sites yeah. for people to use uh, in case of emergency, like uh, sexual harassment. Um, they also propose to install an independent expert body that should be for to manage sexual harassment and abuse claim and will be specialized into that. My bad, which is, uh, sorry, my ugly, which is related <laughs> to that, is the submission so for the same inquiry from the BHP. Uh, which declares that uh, they've dismissed six employees for sexual assault and 48 for sexual harassment in the past two years. Yes. And wow. uh, that's a lot. Yes. It's more, I've got to say, I thought that's more than it would be or it should be. Like, it's good that they've been dismissed and that they're taking the action, but the fact that they need to is disappointing, yeah. isn't it? Okay, my good the Fair Work Ombudsman update in relation to COVID vaccines that was published on their webpage recently. It's all, all stemming about what is a lawful and reasonable direction in terms of compulsory vaccination. So the, the, the Fair Work Ombudsman has defined four tiers of employees in the different levels in which it considers a, a direction to have a vaccination um, could be lawful and reasonable. I think tier one is sort of frontline health workers, tier two are people dealing with uh, the vulnerable, you know, disability services, etc., etc. Tier three is people dealing with the public in general, sort of retail, and tier four are people like us that can just hide away and do our work in front of a computer. Um, mm. The conclusion is uh, tier one, it will be a lawful and reasonable direction to, to, to direct a vaccination. Tier four, it won't. Tier two and three depends on the circumstances and what's reasonable or not. So we keep coming back to the man on the Clapham omnibus, unfortunately, in terms of this reasonableness. But I still think it's positive that we got some clear messaging um, from a government agency rather than just this kind of let's just leave it up to employers to see what they feel like doing. So that was my good. So your bad is already covered. Yes, it is. What was your bad, Courtney? Oh, just the um, Australia Post disclosing the underpaying of their employees. Yeah. Um, probably saw that one coming. Yeah. I thought what was interesting about the Australia Post is it's not so long ago that we had the scandal about the former CEO getting the Cartier watch. And, mm. then, and then a couple of weeks later, they're not calculating annual leave on termination for their employees <laughs> properly. It's, 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 it's not a bad, it's, it's almost an ugly, I've got to say that one, but <laughs> my bad uh, announcement, gender pay gap has widened since COVID. Yes. Not oh. such a surprise. I know I read a couple of things last year at the first lockdown um, about the fact that just through circumstance, I don't think anyone was blaming anybody, but certainly COVID has impacted the professional life of women more than men. Um, partly down to, I suppose, to what we consider essential services versus non-essential, but certainly, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway, the pink collar industries, you know, childcare, disability services, hospitality, um, retail so to a certain extent seem to have been hurt much more than um, some of the more traditional male um, roles, construction, trades, etc, etc. So a year ago they were already saying this is going to impact women more than men. My ugly was the case, unfair dismissal case, about the law intern claiming to be an employee. And just one. apparently the only thing that was really ugly about it was apparently both the employer and the alleged employee at some stage had to call the police during the, during the meetings. The oh, yes. police were yes. required to be called. I, I have to say, 
having done a lot of difficult end of employment type meetings, I think if the police are being called, something has gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think it was because the employee just didn't want to, Wouldn't to leave. leave. Yeah. 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 Still ugly. Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Still ugly. All right. That's it. Good, bad, ugly for, for this pod. Legally Blonde now finally finally this was your idea essie and courtney um i have to say i think courtney gets props she she noticed that it was 20 year anniversary yeah Yeah. and i'm gonna leave you guys to talk more than me i didn't think it was as bad as i thought it was going to be i'll I'll admit that i still feel like the one hour and 36 minutes i spent watching that is something that i'm never ever going to get back again and i sort of feel a little bit (laughs) <laughs> you don't feel like you've changed you but don't view the world through a new pink lens n- not 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 yet not yet maybe after you guys have, have, have through explaining why it was so good i <laughs> one thing i wanted to ask you and i'm going to defer to you guys is is it was like i saw that buzz around the internet about its 20 year anniversary and in particular it was connected with a lot of messaging about women mm. in law which is something as you guys know like you're young feminists, lawyers, and I, I support the cause a lot uh, about women in law and the importance of it. It still astonishes me that some of my female friends and colleagues are referred to as dear sir in correspondence, but um, something that doesn't happen in employment law very much. But I'll defer to you, to you guys. I don't get how Legally Blonde is a positive message for female inclusion in the legal industry so please explain it to me i think it's a bit of a mixed bag isn't it i think it um partly the idea that being feminine and these things that are traditionally girly can actually be a strength and it's kind of changing the narrative around if you want to be successful and good be more like a man it's like no their feminine qualities are equally um valuable and important and we can celebrate and enjoy that. Right. Knowing the steps to keeping a perm will go, you know, get you far. It can help. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually based on a true story. Is it? Is so it? it's like it's yeah, it's it's based, so it's from a, a book from Amanda Brown and she actually wrote it because she was studying in Stanford Law School. And she had a huge interest in fashion and beauty, and beauty, and she really felt like she there was like a big gap between her and the other students, and yeah. that's kind of like what inspired her about the book. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. You, yeah, you can't just assume because someone is maybe more girly and like those things that they're not equally smart and kick-ass. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like she was saying, like she would take her notes with like a pink pen and she would have like pink book and everybody would think like she's yeah a bit like a stupid blonde girl when she was actually studying in stanford and becoming a lawyer too i'm gonna just say on the on the stupid blonde note as as the blonde solicitor of of the firm (laughs) um i certainly appreciate that it provides a sort of counter narrative to the usual blonde stereotypes in some ways, I mean, on the one hand, it completely plays into it. Um, but I mean, I I think it definitely would have boosted some numbers in you know law students. But at the same time, the amount of times when I've gotten the joke of like, oh, you're you're studying law because you watched Legally Blonde, did you? Uh, you know. So it's. <laughs> can I say I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit something, and I'd never thought of this before until I started watching it, but. You're actually not unlike Reese Witherspoon, don't you reckon? Don't you reckon Essie? Like you get it? Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely noticed that. You know, and look, if if we were going to put on it like a firm theatrical version of Legally Blonde, I think you've got the part already, Essie. Without question. <laughs> I think, but in in my defence, I I don't think I actually saw Legally Blonde until quite late into the game, um, and I definitely had no plans of being solicitor at the time, so. Um, can't, can't give it, you know, all that credit, but... <laughs> I, 
I think that it's a really interesting point, and Courtney, I think like your answer to my question was perfect, and I'm convinced that's fair enough. <laughs> I, I've got a few doubts though, and I'm, I'm going to say these. Like, I think when she's like, "Oh, my boyfriend split up with me, so I have to go to law school to win him back," and all of that, I don't know how much that should be held up as a as an icon of feminism, but I, I don't know. No, that is. It was two thousand one. Two thousand one. Wait, what year was it? Did I was I was an adult in two thousand one. I'm pretty sure we yes. How old she was supposed to be? Like, how old are you uh, at your first year of of uni? Well, they do in America. They do it as post grad. So I think, like at the beginning of the movie, she's finishing 20. college. So she's like twenty two or something mm -hmm. they do a whole like undergraduate degree and then they go to law school afterwards which i think right. is a great system frankly but um i think yeah so she's like 22 23 i think so not that young not not that young <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know so the other thing that i noticed in mine and I, i've kept very careful notes of this um, <laughs> the <laughs> you talked about Tom Cruise eating the apple, okay, and that the grossness of that, Courtney and I agree a hundred percent. We we dissected that. The scene where she's split up with Warner and she's lying in bed and she's got a box of chocolates and she's like taking a bite of each of them and then putting them back in the tray. Gross. <laughs> Is that least favorite scene? Is that that's it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I reckon. Um, that would no. That was my food etiquette observation. Um, what about characters? What do you reckon? So she's obviously like a strong lead character. Yeah. Like I just feel like you can you only see her through the whole movie. Yeah. Like the other characters that are like female characters that I really like to like have Vivian, like the new girlfriend. You liked her. But you don't. Yeah, yeah, I think I like their relationship, like yeah. they develop then, yeah. you know, because at the end they become friends. Mm. And I think like that's a great outcome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like the relationship with Paulette too. Like, so. Um, yeah. I was going to say, I've always quite liked Reese Witherspoon. And I do think that genuinely, you know, she's one of the reasons why I do like the movie. Um, I probably wouldn't have watched it without her, if I'm being totally honest. But as a strong second, I'd say Bruiser. Bruiser, oh, same. Absolutely. Absolutely. The Chihuahua. Great touch. Yeah. There's a reason why the second movie is all about Bruiser. Yeah. If the yeah. second movie is all about Bruiser. Yes, that will be our next podcast, yeah. by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Stifler's mum was great. Who's that? You don't know who Stifler's mum is? No. Okay. Who's it in, uh, in Lily Blonde? Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge. Yeah. Uh, she's okay. in, she's an yeah, so iconic Paulette. role in, oh, is that her name? Paulette. Okay. That's who she's you're talking great, about. Yes. Yeah. 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 She's like, she's good. Like she's iconic. I think I thought she was pretty funny. I like the bend and snap she's where good. she smacks the guy in the face. Oh. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Favorite line for me was when, and this is the moment I reckon the movie actually, I found a little bit more entertaining was when they invite her to the fancy dress party and it's not a fancy dress party. And instead of like getting upset and freaking out, she's like, oh, well, who cares? I'll just do it. And then, <laughs> and then Vivian and the friend kind of laugh at her and say, nice costume. And, and she says, I can't remember, so I should have written it down, but she said something like, oh, I like your costume too, but when I dress up as a frigid bitch, I don't look so constipated. <laughs> <laughs> it was a classic. Yeah, it was good. Ooh, my favorite quote is, I think we can all relate. Uh, law school is for people who are boring and ugly <laughs> and serious. <laughs> that's my favorite. Yes. Yeah. That's a, well, that's a fun. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> and in a way, it's so true. <laughs> Except for us. Except for us. Yeah. <laughs> when she went to the caravan with Stifler's mum mm -hmm. to get back the dog, like I thought when they, she arrived at the caravan, I thought this is going to be 
great. This is going to be awesome. But I know I left me a little flat. I thought they could have done oh, better. I, well, I just thought maybe the people that were assisting with the law stuff in the movie and in the script could have done a bit, lazy, maybe? a bit better with it. There was just, it was just a bit too much about men's rare. And then she says, what all it? of the lectures were just them discussing the meaning of Latin terms. Yeah. Like, yeah. It wasn't, oh, didn't. I did enjoy the part where they're in the courtroom and she actually starts explaining what mens rea is to the judge. Yeah. <laughs> that I appreciated as a, you know. And then again, I think this is going to be a recurring theme for me is the whole, I just thought the witness gave up too easily. They just don't give up that easily. I guess it makes good TV. And not only did she catch him out on the perm, but so thoroughly that the judge just said, take her into custody, case dismissed. It was like, it was, that yeah, was I, I don't, I just, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. What about when Luke Wilson managed to trick the, uh, the witness into admitting that he had, uh, you know, uh, had a boyfriend. A boyfriend. That... <laughs> I had that choose with this. It didn't mean that he wasn't sleeping with Brooke. <laughs> That's right. That's Very traditional game. view. Yeah. That scene, as an employment lawyer, when Brooke admits that she gets Enrique to wear that little thong to clean the pool, I feel like she's probably towing the line with some workplace harassment. Yeah. <laughs> Just going back to that. Yeah. Generally speaking, best scene of the movie was the whole courtroom thing. Definitely. Yep. I'm going to say something controversial. I don't like the bend and snap. You didn't like the bend and what? snap? No, I find it annoying and I still quote it because it's a classic, but yeah. to be honest, it's just, I don't like it. I kind of get that. It's a bit uh, archaic. Oh, I just feel like Elle Woods would have other better tricks up her sleeve than a bend and snap. I mean, I like that they do a little <laughs> dance a bit short, but even that, I just, I don't know, kind of maybe what you were thinking with the, the caravan scene, that there should have been, you know, should something have, more clever. It could have been, could have been something better than that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, no, what, what, when I raised it as being brilliant, it was more just when she bent and snapped and hit the guy in the face. It was just classic physical comedy, you know, by that stage, I'm like, looking for oh, a laugh. that part. That part. Yeah. When she tries it out on the UPS guy, who I think is in the listing as the UPS guy, that's his name. Um, and he, uh, yeah, and smashes him in the face. That's what I was more meaning. Marks out of 10. I was thinking it was a five, but I'm upgrading it to a six and a half because you guys explained that significance to me, Courtney. Thank you. So you've given it one and a half marks. <laughs> Emily. Yeah, I would agree. True. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but I just, I just think like, it's a for me. It's a movie for girl first and for teenager. So I just think like in a way we are not so type of spectators they were trying yeah, to yeah. have and for this movie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Essie. I was gonna give it maybe a seven and a half. But I'll knock it up to an eight because it's a classic. And as again, <laughs> the blonde solicitor, who had to go to law school through all those references, you know, at least it gave me that line. Um, what was it? Getting into law school, what? Like it's hard? <laughs> Which I've used so many times. And for that alone, it gets an eight. Yeah. Courtney. I, I mean, I have to give it a 10 out of 10 purely out Ooh. of loyalty. I loved this movie as a child. I right. used to spend my Friday night painting my nails and watching Legally Blonde. So yeah, well, that's I, fair I enough. I just have to have to commit to it. Yeah, that's fair I appreciate enough. Appreciate that. What's the next movie then? I've got a couple of ideas. What do you have? The Rainmaker, John Grisham, with Danny DeVito and Matt Damon. That's one. But I also had an idea. Have you guys seen as a recent movie? on the basis of sex about oh, yes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Have you seen it? I did have that one in mind. Yeah. If, if you guys haven't seen it, Essie, you've seen it. Yeah. I think we should do that unless there's other objections. Sounds good. All right. No, I do. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. 
please feel free to connect on LinkedIn or email or send us a question if you've got one, send us some feedback or ideas for the podcast going forward. Um, Otherwise, we look forward to talking to you again soon. See you later.